looking forward to Thanksgiving. I feel like the conversations probably won't be too, uh, shall we say, argumentative. We're Hispanic. We don't really talk politics or religion or anything, especially if, like, we know the views are different. Like, what my parents believe isn't definitely what I believe a lot of the time, especially since we're from Texas as well. So they're pretty conservative, and, like, I'm kind of very just, you know, lax. So we don't talk about it. <laughs> I mean, as much as I would love to get into it, because I've, I've been very political, and I would, I would love to crush all of their opinions and everything, uh, we usually we usually stay away from that at our dinner table. You know, Thanksgiving's a time to eat, eat dinner and get fat and fall asleep. Ah, Thanksgiving, the traditions. On the coming holiday, as on so many previous fourth Thursdays in November, someone will set the backyard on fire trying to deep-fry their bird. And a gazillion people will fall asleep on living room couches in the fabled turkey coma. And thousands of festive meals will be ruined by an outbreak of political squabbling and shade-throwing among relatives. Hi, I'm Chris Satulo, and this is a special Turkey Day episode of 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia, and from America, for that matter. You may dread it or relish it, but either way, you know it's coming. On Thanksgiving, far-flung branches of your family and friend network will come together to munch on cranberries and stuffing, wondering all the while if a red versus blue food fight is about to break out. At this time of year, the airwaves and internet are full of sage advice on how to handle politics on this holiday. And who are we at the Committee of 70 to resist piling on? One of our missions is to encourage better, more productive conversation about politics, even when large amounts of both your Uncle George and Cabernet Sauvignon are involved. So we've invited two experts on civil dialogue to join us and share their thoughts on how to discuss politics fruitfully around the laden table. Wait, why do this, you might ask? Why court trouble? Why not just steer clear of political talk? Just stick to discussing season two of Stranger Things, which was awesome, wasn't it? But no. This is the first Thanksgiving of the unprecedented and omnipresent Trump presidency. It would be both difficult and possibly cowardly to refuse to discuss it. The future of the very republic for which we are gathering to give thanks might be endangered if we don't relearn how to talk with one another. Clenching our eyes shut and pretending that politics won't come up probably won't work. You know the topic will arise just as surely as Eagles football and Cousin Millie's divorce. So instead, let's arm ourselves with some tips on how to keep the political talk from going thermonuclear, to make it helpful, not hurtful. So now let me bring in David Thornbrick, 70 CEO. How are you doing, David? Hello, Chris. So this whole thing was your idea, to talk about the Thanksgiving dinner table on 20 by 70, the, the podcast of the Committee of 70. Like, that's not a normal topic for us. Why? Yeah, this actually occurred to me uh, at our annual luncheon a couple of weeks ago after uh, following John Meacham, who was a fabulous speaker. And I thought, you know, given the tenor of the times, uh, what, what, what can we contribute that would be useful? Uh, so I encourage people to talk about politics at Thanksgiving, which then led to the question, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> there was a collective you know, gasp of horror from the yeah. audience. Right? As he lost his mind. <laughs> That's right. But here's the other thing. Um, 
you know, the Committee of 70, uh, particularly this last year, has been very focused on what we'll call shorthand the hyper-partisan tribal divide that seems to have afflicted us, not not just as citizens and voters, but in our legislative bodies. You know, that that's where gridlock in Harrisburg and gridlock in Washington come from. And, mm-hmm. and then we think about you know, kind of the grand architectural uh, fixes uh, to those kinds of things. Maybe we need open primaries or other ways to give independents the vote. Maybe uh, my my favorite little, uh, little idea that could is what would happen if we seated the uh, legislature alphabetically and not by caucus. That all sounds well and good. But it occurs to me that, you know, American people get the government that they demand. Mm-hmm. And we, we seem to be in this position where uh, we're in kind of an absolutist frame of mind. The only way you get what you want is you pile up some mythical majority of 75% and you can pummel the other side uh, into submission. That's the way the politics seem to be. And that actually doesn't work very often. I mean, th- that's not the structure of American government. So coming back to the dinner table... It, it strikes me that we've got to figure out ways to model the kind of behavior that we expect from our legislators. In other words, wait for it, how can we expect folks to reach across the aisle when we can't reach across the dinner table to start a conversation about politics? Okay, David, that's a great setup. So what, now let us bring in our couple of experts to show us how to reach across the table so that someday maybe we can reach across the aisle. Joining me now in the Wexler studio at Kelly Ryder's house on the Penn campus are Dr. Harris Sokoloff and Sharon Browning. Harris is co-founder and director of the Penn Project for Civic Engagement at the University of Pennsylvania and a man who's planned and led about as many civic dialogues as anyone in America. Sharon is a lawyer by training who founded the Just Listening Project, which seeks to nurture social and personal change through better communication. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Sharon, let's start with you. Uh, How can Thanksgiving gatherings find that happy middle ground between avoiding politics altogether and turning the holiday into a CNN shout fest? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Well, many, many things. Just just to to kick it off a little bit, I think the very first thing all of us need to do is stop, take a breath, and reflect a little about what conversation we're having and why we're in it uh, and what our role in it is. You know, it's we the people. It's not Republicans and Democrats or blue and red or us and them. It's we. Uh, And as David was saying earlier, we are the ones who are in charge here. We are the ones who can uh, look at and discuss what our common problems are, our common pain, and come to common solutions. But we need to really sit down, listen, reflect, uh, and hear each other. And to do that, we need to look at our own conversational dynamics, uh, recognize when we are hooked, recognize our tendency to be reactive and not reflective uh, and get on top of that first. Um, And then I think also um, I love Parker Palmer's uh, configuration of this. He says it's we're we're involved in the politics of the brokenhearted. And I think if we can get out of our heads and into our hearts and have some conversations about what is deeply, deeply meaningful to us, what are our cherished values? What does it mean and feel like to be an American? Because that's different for every single one of us. And have conversations about what we have in common uh, and then, you know, take it from there. But really, really have conversations about how we're feeling, not just how we're thinking uh, and not fight 
just resolve never to have this be a fight and a knockdown drag out, have it be a meaningful conversation from the heart. Right, Harris, Sharon mentioned not being reactive. You have a quote about listening that you often use to start things out. Could you share that with folks? Yeah, so Sharon, I'll do that in a second. Sharon uh, spoke about pausing, stopping and pausing. And I think that pause is pregnant. It's an opportunity to listen to the other person. Mark Nepo, the philosopher poet, says uh, that in the spirit of our times, to listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. Uh, he's not talking about major changes. He's talking about small changes. And we have to be, and I think being willing to be changed by what we hear does require an open heart mm-hmm. as well as an open mind. And it means we have to start with not trying to be right, but trying to understand the other person. So I think there's a whole bunch of stuff wrapped up in that. Okay, that all sounds beautiful. And my heart soars to hear you talk. But we're talking about Uncle George at the uh, Thanksgiving right, table. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. always, always pontificates and spouts utter nonsense that he picked up somewhere. And it's so annoying. So what am I supposed to do when Uncle George starts? I think that's where you get reflective in advance. You say, Uncle George is going to be there. And I know Uncle George hooks me. Why does Uncle George hook me? What is it in me that reacts and responds to Uncle George? Reflect on that first and then resolve not to do it. You know, there's a very simple, there's a little acronym we can use uh, going back to uh, Harris's comment that, you know, we wait and we can just remember this. One, uh, I forget who said it this way, why am I talking? You know, just take a pause, take a breath, why am I talking? And then think, it's an acronym. One, wake up to the fact that you're in conversation with another human being uh, deserving your attention. Um, and then uh, be aware that it's coming through all of your own filters, assumptions, biases. Then intend to be uh, thoughtful and in- intend to be focused, intend to understand, and then to be thoughtful and teachable. No, you don't know until you ask. Re- uh, re- reflect and do not react. So just wait. Take a breath. Yeah, I, I think that notion of take- waiting and taking a breath is crucial. It, it, it gives our, our hearts and minds an opportunity to stop and break the normal reactive set. To, um, so if we just wait and we pause and we take a deep breath or two, and then we might ask ourselves the following question. What is it about what Uncle George just said that makes even the tiniest bit of sense? Even the tiniest bit of sense. And maybe respond to that sense-making thing and say, Uncle George, you know, I had not thought about it this way before, but what you just said about X, Y, or Z, you know, makes this kind of sense to me. I mean, that, I think, opens up a whole different kind of conversation. First of all, Uncle George is going to be floored. (laughs) (laughs) Going to be floored that you didn't sort of come back at him like you normally do. And that's an opportunity for Uncle George then to think differently as well, because he's going to be surprised. And that's being a generous listener. Mm -hmm. That's saying, I don't know. I actually don't know what you really, really think. I mean, there's data about how we listen to other people until they say something we disagree with or don't believe. And then we shut down. We stop listening and start formulating counterarguments. So just stop and instead get curious and say, huh, that's very interesting. Exactly what you said, Harris. And, And what in your experience has led you to think that, to believe that. I'm curious. Please tell me. Not as in, what makes you think that? But, ooh, I'm so curious. What uh, makes you believe that? I really would love to know. Yeah, so part of what I'm hearing and thinking as you say it is that 
and it starts where you start sharing, it's actually coming into the conversation with a goal different than winning or rebutting. What yeah. What is that different goal that can lead to a different conversation? Well, you know, for me, from for the work we do, um, that goal is mutual understanding. Just how can I understand what you're thinking and why you're thinking it? And then after I understand, is there a place where we connect? Okay, so it's, it's understanding and connection rather than being right, which is ultimately separating. And then after that, we can hope for and possibly achieve transformation. You know, we don't know yet what the solutions are. We don't know yet what the answers are. And so it's a mistake for any of us to think we do and to pound that away. This is what we need to say. No, we don't, because the solution is in all of us collectively. It's in the we. And the we has to be embraceive of everybody, uh, not just people who agree with me or believe with me. We need to forge new, new territory here. There's also the idea that all of us is smarter than any of us, or Correct. you know, yeah. by talking together, we can achieve a wisdom we couldn't find alone. The notion that actually, the best way to come up with a good or workable solution is to have a conversation, not just sit there in isolation and think your brilliant thoughts by yourself. Because I think that's right. There's, you know, there's also this notion that people will work hardest to achieve that which they had a hand in planning or, or developing. And, you know, if um, to the extent that we can work together to plan something, we're more, much more likely to achieve whatever goals we have rather than me trying to say, do it my way, because there's no reason for you to do it my way if you don't buy into that. And I think asking the right questions is really central here. What, what are the conversations that we're going to have? Um, one, we're not going to have debates. That's not appropriate, and that's not going to be helpful uh, to any of us. But we can have a dialogue, which means, you know, the NEPO thing, being open uh, to being changed and uh, by what we hear. And then we can ask questions that really get at the depth of our experience as human persons, and that's where we can meet. We can meet on that ground. So having some in our heads as we go into Thanksgiving and the, and the holidays, having some ideas about what kinds of conversations would be generative and healing uh, and make forge those connections that uh, Harris is So in other about. words, just rather than spending your energy on dread, spend it on thinking <laughs> what you'd actually like to see happen. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to jump in and, and at least play the devil's advocate. You said it's not about debate. And I can imagine people going, well, wait a minute. Politics is about debate. We decide how to, whom to elect based on debates. Debate happens every night on CNN and MSNBC and, and you know, the other cable shows, a kind of debate. That's what most Americans think politics is. When they say, oh, I don't know if I want politics to come up, they're saying, I'm not sure I want to debate. So, But now we have, we have all of this uh, information now about confirmation bias and what happens when people debate and hear things they already believe. They just get more Let's pause hardened. for a moment and make yeah. sure people know what confirmation bias is. Well, that when we hear something uh, that with, with which we agree, we take that whether it's true or not, you know, uh, objectively, we take it uh, as more evidence of our position. And so the more we hear what we believe, the more we believe that there's more evidence. And it's just a, a And we, tend to, we tend to notice and remember mostly the things that buttress what we already thought going in. Absolutely. And, and to dismiss the alternative evidence. Absolutely. But go ahead. No, no, so, so I think um, – Part of, going back to your question, Chris, about debate, part of it is to realize that what we see on CNN and MSNBC and Fox, that's not debate. That's a whole bunch of people who actually already agree with each other, pontificating. When we see candidates doing something they call debates, 
they're not really debates. It's actually, you know, it's not pro-con. It's like, this is what I believe. This is, you know, it's, they're not, they're, 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 they're pushing against each other more than, more than actually debating things. Well, it's, it's more marketing prepared yeah. talking points and statements, but, you know, yeah, and that actually point. responding right. to what's Exactly. Um, so I think um, what we're advocating here really is people going in and having a discussion, not a debate, a discussion where the goal is to understand and push the limits of their understanding and dig underneath their differences so, so to say, okay, we, we disagree here, but why? What's the disagreement about? It's not who's right. It's how do we understand each other? Okay, talking about pushing limits, yeah. Uncle George pushes my limits, yeah. okay? And one of the things that he does that really annoys me is when he insists on something he read somewhere on the Internet or heard somewhere on TV. It's just a fact, and then he takes off from there. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I know that's not true. He's like, that <laughs> yeah. was a, a Internet rumor that was debunked years ago, and he still believes it. What am I supposed to do that? Am I not supposed to tell Uncle George he's wrong? Because he's wrong. No, he's just wrong. You're not. You're not supposed to tell Ex- Uncle exactly. George he's wrong. Exactly. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 no, no. <laughs> Rather. Why not? Yeah, Start okay, okay. Well, so, you know, because because telling him he's wrong only only gets gets the two of you locked in a battle, mm-hmm. okay? Of of who's right. One tactic is to say, Uncle George, I understand that what you're saying. Why is that fact so important to you? Why is it so important that that be correct? And then probe that way, uh, and then ask Uncle George. Uncle George, there have been people that have said that there's another way of looking at it. What do you think about that? And not, not not saying that you're wrong, but saying, what if, what if it were the other way? Mm-hmm. What difference would that make? And and probing Uncle George as to why, getting Uncle George to go deeper into why he believes and why it's so important to him, getting um, getting down to what's in his heart, if you can. And that's hard because Uncle George is really, you know, you're primed. You know, <laughs> you know he's wrong because you you've got your facts. And Uncle George the- is heartless. I can't get it. <laughs> Well, Uncle George probably has never had his heart deeply explored. You know, all of the the polls, most of the polls uh, in the election a year ago were wrong. And and I suspect it's because they asked people what they thought and not what they felt. And if we can begin to ask each other, uh, what are your deeply held cherished values? You know, what does it mean? What does it feel like to you to be an American? I mean, I've had some conversations in the past year, witnessed some that were just enormously transformative because people were able to speak about what they felt about all of this and not just what they thought. So how do you, Sharon, how do you get down to that level where people are talking about values, not just positions? I think you just, you do it. You just take it right, right on, head on. And at the, I would say when people are gathering um, for a meal or getting together to um, establish a tone, it's Thanksgiving you know, what are you grateful for? Number one, you're kind of pushing people into their parasympathetic nervous <laughs> systems. They're going to be much, much nicer. And just say, what are you grateful for? Let's take a minute to really dig deep. What this year are we deeply, deeply grateful for? That's a great place to start. And then you're already talking about what's important. And you can say, uh, you know, what what issue do you care most deeply about and why? How does it affect your life? Tell a story from your own experience, not anybody else's, your experience. How does this impact you deeply and why? How does it connect to your deepest held values? And really have those conversations. I mean, what do we all want? We want 
to feel safe and we want to be loved. And to the degree that we behave badly, it's mostly because we didn't get that at some point in our <laughs> lives. So, so making other people feel unsafe and unloved is not going to help us. We have to feel that way ourselves and communicate that, create a space for those conversations with other people. Yeah, there's another avenue into that conversation while you're doing that. Um, and that other avenue is uh, to figure out what troubles you. Mm-hmm. And say to Uncle George, Uncle George, you know, you've been talking about this stuff for a while, and one of the things that's always that troubles me about my response to you is, you know, it's a part of your own belief system that you're not sure about, and make yourself vulnerable and say, you know, can you help me understand this? So, um, let's see if I can give an example. So, I'm thinking about uh, we saw some some students talking, um, one student from the left, one student from the right, talking about the abortion issue. Okay, um, and one student said uh, to the, and they were talking about Trump, and one student said, "Well, why was that so important to you? You know, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I think this other stuff is more important. Why was that so important to you?" And the, and the student said, "Got into it, got into a very deep values discussion really quickly, and they were able to talk at that level, and they came to a better understanding they, than they would have any other way." And that one wasn't trying to be right and wrong. They were trying to understand. So I think saying what bothers me about what I'm thinking, what one thing that I'm troubled with, and asking the other person to help me understand it can be helpful. Yeah, and you're referring to a set of dialogues amongst students from college campuses yeah. around the area that we've been conducting. And one thing, and there's another one coming up shortly, one thing that struck me about that is how eager the students are to have that conversation and to change their normal mode. Um, I do feel there's a hunger for the kind of conversation we're talking about. People simply do not know how to do it, and they have very few next to no models right now, either on social media or traditional media, of how to do it. So it's sort of an uphill struggle. And that's, I think, part of what people are dreading about Thanksgiving, is if you go on social media, you go on the message boards on any political site, or if you look on cable TV, uh, nobody wants to have that around Thanksgiving. But um, So what about the idea of just avoiding it, like just declaring a no-politics zone? What do you think about that? At the top, I was arguing against it, but almost just for the sake of argument. I think if the option is a knockdown drag-out, uh, or you know, I, I think you just d- avoid that. You mm-hmm. really, really do that. But I think you could then have some uh, softer conversations that established connection and helped build trust. You know, one of the reasons people don't want to have these conversations is because they're afraid. They're afraid of being attacked. And there is, I agree with you, Chris, there's a deep, deep hunger to have these conversations to move us from this stuck, stuck place. But we're all afraid, and we live in a culture of fear now. And we're so afraid of being attacked. We're so reactive as a culture. You can't even post anything on your personal Facebook account without having people jump all over it. So, of course, we're, you know, we're, we have this heightened... Yeah, Sharon, 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 there's no such thing as a personal <laughs> Facebook account. What Sharon said earlier, I mean, I, th- I think um, if, the, if the option is a knockdown drag out or nothing... I would go for closer to the – I would stay away from the knockdown drag out. That's not functional. I do think um, that starting the evening perhaps or sometime in the evening asking people sort of what they're most grateful for or as they sit at this table, what's in their hearts? 
and starting the conversation that really starts with the heart or, or gratitude or thankfulness. Um, that um, that starting there can set the tone for the evening, and and when you do that, if something like politics comes up, it can really it will come up in a different context. Um, there's a part of me that also thinks that the host could also set some ground rules <laughs> right. for conversation, you know. Um, you know, and the, the ones we've used for a long time start with the Mark Nepo quote about listening. It then goes about making sure that everybody has an opportunity to talk, that if you disagree, don't try and, don't try and solve the disagreement. Solve or to, win it. Yeah, don't try to solve or win it, but try and understand it mm-hmm. and try and build on each other's ideas. I mean, you could... It sounds a little formalized, but you know, if your family has a history of knockdown dragout, the host or hostess or someone can say, "Let's can we set some ground rules for conversation?" Right. So it yeah. strikes me that hosting a Thanksgiving dinner in the Republic at this moment is a little bit more than getting the turkey out of the oven at the right <laughs> place and, and getting getting the gravy just right. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. and if and if the host or hostess is not particularly comfortable with that, they might know that there's someone around the table who could play that role yeah. and they could invite them to play that role. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. So before I let you go, actually, what are you guys doing for Thanksgiving, Harris? Sure. So I'm going down to visit my sister in Cumming, Georgia, which is um, by past experience, my sister and brother-in-law is easy to talk to, but some of the neighbors are a little more difficult. And I think um, I'm going to suggest we start with a go-around about what are we grateful for. Uh, you know, to this guy, to each person to say one thing that they're grateful for this year um, and see where that takes us. Um, I may also ask my sister if she would mind coming up with, you know, putting some ground rules for discussion so things stay calm and neutral because in the past they've not always done that. <laughs> okay, and Sharon, what are you doing? I am hosting. Oh, you're hosting. I'm so hosting. This is, this is on you. <laughs> so do you have a list of questions sort of written that you might you might take your I, guests through? I do. I, I I have a list that I that I use a lot of, of questions that people can ask, and I'm happy to just sort of, you know, share a few of them uh, okay, for people. We'll, and we'll put the full list on the Community great. of 70 website and people can see it That there. would be great. I mean, any of these, I think, could be evocative. You know, you know your people. You know what's, what's reasonable. Um, whom do you care about most in your life, and what is your American dream for them? Uh, what does it feel like to be an American, and what's the best part of being an American? What are your most deeply held and cherished values, and what do they look like concretely in your life? What issue in your life causes you the most concern? Ideally, how would you like to see it resolved? What do you think needs to happen to bring the country together? What can you do personally to begin the healing? How do the actions and policies of the current administration impact you directly? What is your personal stake in what is happening politically in our country? And then tell a story. Give us an example from your own life about that. What would allow us to work together to address and solve our common problems? What do you need to form trust and relationships in which we can truly listen to and understand each other? It goes on. I mean, we could go on and on with this. And and again, so you're, you're going to serve thing. like about twelve courses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see yeah. how we'll sitting around a table for a while. Well, that would be great be if you yeah. could get them to discuss even one or two of those. You know, you know Chris. I'm sorry. Um, another thought that just came to mind, and I've actually seen this done in other contexts. Um, you can take those questions, and rather than posing to, to them to the group, cut them up on the separate sheets of paper and give each question to a different person. Mm-hmm. And ask them to raise that question sometime during dinner. 
That's a wonderful really, idea. Really it's a good idea. idea. Great yeah, idea. It's great. So there's a bunch of ideas, and if you want to see more or see those written down, um, again, go to the Committee of 70 website, which is 70.org. Uh, again, let's give our thanks to Sharon Browning and uh, Harris Sokoloff, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving Chris. to you as well, Chris. Well, let's bring David Thornburg back in there. David, this was your idea to have this conversation. What were your takeaways as you listened to Harris and Sharon? Well, I I think what Sharon and, and Harris talked about and the advice they give is just imperative. Um, you know, we all know uh, lots of uh, – there are lots of places in our world now for dysfunctional conversation that make things worse. Let's just call it Facebook and Twitter. And we're not getting a great uh, guidance from the top, let's just say. Um, so – and, and the, you know, Thanksgiving, my favorite American holiday – is to me one of the places where we have to kind of reground this conversation. So I, I, I thought uh, their their advice was uh, spot on. Yeah, you alluded uh, earlier when we were talking to the talk by John Meacham, the historian and, and author who, who spoke to the Community of 70 at lunch, and, and he's somebody who is a scholar of presidential leadership and leadership generally. Um, what was it that resonated in what he said for you that led you to the conversation we're having right now? Yeah. John Meacham, by the way, uh, is an absolutely phenomenal speaker. Yeah. Uh, uh, sounds like a, a paid advertisement, but if you ever have a chance to go see him, uh, uh, do so because he's captivating. The phrase wit and wisdom is embodied. Yeah. In, when he... Plus, I mean, just to, you know, the, the trilogy of his presidential biography is pretty impressive and insightful. Uh, Andrew Jackson, the second craziest president we've ever had. Uh, Thomas Jefferson as a politician, as a, a master of the art of power, and George H.W. Bush. So his talk, the, the three-part takeaway, I thought was very instructive and could serve as sort of a, uh, a, uh, a platform for uh, a Thanksgiving conversation. He said, what, what marks the best of our presidents, and you could say this is maybe a lesson of leadership, is, is one, a curiosity, which, which is – if you think about curiosity, it's acknowledging that you don't know what you need to know, which leads to uh, the second characteristic, which is humility, which is going even further uh, to say, I'm absolutely sure I don't know what I need to know in order to solve this problem. And, th and then the, the final characteristic is empathy, that you know, understanding that the person uh, sitting across from you has a point of view and a perspective and a worldview that is not yours and that it would be helpful to you uh, to understand that. I'll just throw this one last bit on the table that, you know, there's there could be criticism. I'm listening for our listeners here that, that says, oh, this is just like a kumbaya kind of conversation you folks are encouraging. It's sort of lowest common denominator. Why can't we all just get along? And I don't think this is that at all. You know, the, there is... There is right and there is wrong. Uh, there is evidence uh, that we have to apply to the questions of the day. But at the heart, this to me, this approach, I think that Sharon and, and you and, and Harris were talking about, is inherently practical. You know, we don't persuade people by bludgeoning them with facts because we all know that, you know, facts are now up in the eye of the beholder. You begin by listening and understanding where that person is and and working on not just their minds, but their hearts to bring them along. So, Right. The, the premise of all this work on civic dialogue that, you know, those of us who have been talking here today, 
um, do is not that let's paper over disagreement or, oh, disagreement is terrible. It's that in a democracy, the strong and passionate disagreements will and should arise. I mean, that was definitely the Madisonian vision. That's what the the Constitution is based on. How are we going to work through this stuff? And the point is working through it in a way that's productive, not toxic. Right now, we're, we're tending towards the toxic. We've, we've mastered the toxic part. <laughs> yeah, for yeah sure. so what we're trying to do is to figure out how to have something useful and fruitful come out of the other end of disagreement, not to ignore paper over or dismiss the idea of right. disagreement. And if that's we, built into democracy. That's right. And if we can get that before the sweet potato pie uh, is served, then, you know, God bless us all. All right. Thanks very <laughs> much, David. And happy Thanksgiving. And to you. So as you all know, this is the time of year to tally up blessings. So one thing we're thankful about here at the Committee of 70 is our long-running partnership with Young Involved Philadelphia, backer of this podcast. YIP's mission is to engage, connect, and represent the young demographic of Philadelphia, which it does through a rich array of programs and events. If you want to know more about YIP and and what millennials are up to in Philadelphia, listen to the last episode of the podcast where, among other things, we interviewed Becca Gable, who's the president of YIP. We're also, as always, grateful to Kelly Writers House and Penn for graciously agreeing to host this podcast in the plush Wexler studio. And we wouldn't know where to turn without the skills and good humor of the man at the control board, our engineer, Zach Cardman. Thanks also to the producer of this episode, Joel Patterson, the man who is like giblets to my gravy. And a warm holiday toast also to our guests, Dr. Harris Sokoloff and Sharon Browning. And once again, the 70s intrepid leader, David Thornburg. And our best wishes to you for a wonderful, civil holiday filled with good food, good feeling, and good conversation. Since it's Thanksgiving, I'll modify our usual sign-off for 20 by 70. Be grateful for what we've got, but find a way still to expect more. Philadelphia. August 1920, Mother Jones put out the call. To the hills of West Virginia came 13,000 strong. Who counted where they'd meet? Take on Sheriff Chaffin and his anti union. Friends.